Welcome in to a brand new edition of the Hold That Podcast podcast, your favorite and objectively, undeniably, unbiasedly, the best uh, LSU football podcast on the internet. We are hosted by The Athletic, the best sports writing site on the internet. Uh, always remember, you can go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast, sign up, you get 40 percent off take advantage of that deal i think you get access to the athletic for basically like a cup of coffee a month which can sound cliche but when i say it's worth it you probably haven't been on a website without ads in years you're gonna forget just what an incredible experience that really is so go sign up for the athletic using the code uh but you know why you're here and that's talk a little lsu football and uh, if you're listening you've you've been here before welcome back uh, i am t bob Bear. I host um, Off the Bench, a local New Orleans radio show, and, or Baton Rouge. And if you are new here, uh, then let me introduce my co-host. This is Mr. Brody Miller. He writes for The Athletic. Brody, what is going on, man? Not too much. I, it's been hitting me lately how much I, you know, we're, we're getting too used to the remote podcast episodes, you know, where we're in our respective homes. And I'm realizing I really miss, a, I could use a, an in-person episode soon. It's, it's starting to take a toll on me, man. Yeah, um, timing's always weird uh, when you do these things over the phone, essentially. I'm actually shocked how, I'm, I'm actually shocked how, how okay it's been thus far. A lot of that goes to John Hayes. Shout out to our excellent producer. Um, yeah, but, but such are the times that we live in. Uh, there are also the times that we live in that the LSU Football offseason is rocking and rolling. There was uh, a couple new commits to break down. Uh, a coach's caravan stop that they had. Um, Coach Ogeron came on my radio show this morning. He talked about offensive line. Um, Scott Linehan stopped by earlier this week. Uh, Brody Miller's got an article going up tomorrow, which I love. It has this like almost... Um, what what is it? So so what is it? It's like untold stories from the season. It reminds me of like uh, some sort of old like sci-fi night black and white show, right? Like untold stories to blow your mind. So he's got that going up tomorrow, and then the Athletic came out with a ranking of the top twenty-five teams of all time. So stick around to the end to see where LSU ranks on that top twenty-five list. Uh, Brody, what's going on before we dive into this coach's caravan? Everything good? How's it, how's it going now that you are a fresh resident of New Orleans in the 504? Things are solid. My smoothie game has reached new heights. Um, that's, that's really the main highlight of, of my month has been, uh, I've always nice. been a decent smoothie maker and I've always, you know, but two things that have really risen, you know, risen to the top lately have been my cocktail game and my, my smoothie game. It's really become elite today. I had a, uh, a full orange. About a third of a banana, because the banana can overtake it a lot, and I think you need a hint of banana. You know, you don't want to overdo it. Some, uh, okay, some power okay. greens, so there's some kale, uh, chard, and spinach, and then uh, some frozen mangoes, pineapples, and strawberries in there at the end. You know, to kind of give you that that smoothie-like texture without needing ice in there. So it was a, it was a, it was a top-notch one. I mean, you know, the film room's going to be good to me next tomorrow. That's for sure. 
is that uh, is that frozen fruit at the end there to take the place yes. of ice, those mangoes and everything? Exactly, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. excellent So, yeah, call. everything else, that's the key because, I mean, obviously, I'm not saying I'm, a, I'm changing the game here. I mean, a lot of people do this, but I'm just saying you know, a lot of people do ice in their smoothie, and that frozen fruit's actually giving you that consistency you need. Yeah, we just, I mean, we, I, I think we just learned about that. Uh, my wife just did that a couple weeks. So the orange is interesting. Hadn't earned the orange. Okay, last thing here. Um, if I say, hey, make me your best cocktail, what are you making? Well, I mean, it's not, it's not anything crazy, but I, I've just mastered the old-fashioned is what I think. I mean, that's mm-hmm. my go-to, and I wanted to get really good at it, and I like to believe I've gotten pretty damn good at it. I mean, yeah, I can make a good amount of other things, but that, that's my go-to for sure. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been into those uh, those ranch waters. I don't even know if I'm making them correctly. It's a lazy man's drink. It's just tequila and Topo Chico, and I don't even bother with the lime. I should. Um, I always go to this thing where I'll drink like one or two cocktails, then I get lazy and I just start drinking the alcohol neat. There's no ice, no nothing. Just 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 put it in my belly. Uh, That's kind of what, what I do. Because the way I view it is like you're warming your body up, and then by the time like you have like two cocktails, it's just like. All right, like whatever. Like it's not like it's like a thing to drink it straight anymore. You know what I mean? Like your body's yeah. No, that that's that is completely fair. You can do the same thing with good beer into trash beer. If you're having just like I want to get really drunk type of day, you start with a couple nice ones, get the buzz going. Um, If you do the reverse, it's dangerous because then your buzz. And all of a sudden, you're drinking this really heavy beer, but your body's kind of buzzed, so you're not really like acknowledging how heavy it is. So all of so a sudden, tasty. you get kind of trashed. Yeah, so that's there's a fine balance there. Uh, so that's where I'm going to go out on a limb and say, <laughs> if you are already planning your drink switches like that ahead of time, you're planning on getting trashed. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's going to happen by accident uh okay but uh, i, I want to get you know what i want to get drunk on i want to get drunk on some lsu football coaches caravan talk nailed it that's right brody uh so this is something they do every year they go around the state this is one of ogeron's I, i'm sure that miles did the same thing um i'm trying to remember exactly if they called it the same thing but essentially it's like you want to keep good relations with the different parts of the state and so in the past, uh, Coach Miles has traveled like up to Monroe, you know, up at the 318, uh, like Lafayette. I believe has Houston gotten a stop in yeah, the past? Houston's been the last two years, yeah. Okay, so Houston as well, knowing that that is the largest LSU alumni base, I think, in the country. Um, and, and it's just a way for the, for the head coach of the staff to get some FaceTime in front of local fans and boosters and, you know, make them feel like good about the program and, and and you bring up high school coaches and you give them some face time, you make them feel good. It's a very uh, positive ordeal. Normally it's pretty fun to have gone and covered a few of these things. See a lot of old friends. Um, but obviously this year they're having to do a bit differently. They, they are doing it virtually. Uh, Brody, I did not cover it. I was actually over at Mike <laughs> the Tiger's cage with my family um get out of the house because my wife had to go work on campus for a little bit so what did you uh what did you think about the virtual coaches caravan was it a success how to how to go on the whole 
Yeah, I mean, it ran pretty smoothly and whatnot. I mean, I think the only downside to it being like this is normally that's one of the main times that we ever – that's pretty much the only time we ever get assisting coaches. So it's like a good yeah. chance for the reporters to go kind of – to be honest, it's where we go to fill our notebooks with information because that's the only time we'll get them. So, for example, like every every June we get, da- like we get Dave Aranda at the New Orleans event, and I will res- use that because he just talks in such depth, right? And I would use – his 20 minute interview and just use it as like my 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 index for the entire college entire LSU season like oh we, you know they referred to this coverage they're doing well they've explained this in June so like that's where we go for that and the bummer yeah. i guess is that obviously Jacob Hester did a great job hosting it and whatnot but it's a you know a state run you know entity so it's like we're not getting yeah. some of the nitty gritty questions that we're really looking for but that with that being said there was some really interesting stuff you know like i think one of my biggest takeaways was was Bo Pelini kind of talking about the coverages he's going to use. And he was saying, you know, he thinks there'll be some man, there'll be some more zone than last year. But he said there's going to be what he said was a man within a zone, which is he's referring to his matchup zone that he used basically throughout his whole career. And that's not something I'm that familiar with. And I kind of wanted to pick your brain on. And I did a bunch of reading on it because I haven't really read up too much on it before. But the idea that LSU is going to be doing more matchup zone, which is kind of basically a mix of a man to man in a zone. I mean, how familiar are you with that? Um, not, not, not very in terms of like adding actual insight. Like I understand the core concept <laughs> of it, right? You have this zone and then you're, you're kind of passing off, I guess, men within that zone or exactly. is it, is, is it, is it if someone comes in there, then maybe you're on that guy. Exactly. Um, I, 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 I did find a tweet interesting from, I think an old Nebraska beat writer. Yeah. Um, who quote tweeted you and was just talking about, you know, Pelini's always been great at stopping the pass. And then he finishes it kind of ominously. But what about the run or like, but we'll <laughs> see. And I'm like, well, does I don't know. I, stopping the run doesn't like if I had to choose one nowadays to be successful. Yeah, 2020, like, I would much rather stop. Yeah, dude, that's what I'm saying, dude. Like, I'll take the I'll take the expert at stopping the pass for sure. So, uh It'll be, uh, hopefully, you'll, you'll get some more access to these guys as things go forward. Um, so if, if Pelini jumped out to you there, what about, what did you think about Steve Insminger? How did old coach, how did Minger look, uh, did, did he look excited to be on those virtual Zoom calls? <laughs> well, I mean, literally, yeah, the first thing he does is obviously make a joke about how he doesn't want to be there. He's kind of just like leaning back. He's, he doesn't even leave. He's in the office. He's in like the office. I don't know what room it is, I guess, but the offensive staff meeting room. So like you can see analysts behind him like doing computer work. He doesn't even do like the the justice of like going in, in his own room and talking like privately. He's just like, I'm not getting up for this. So he just talks in the middle of everyone else doing work. But yeah, I mean, I think there were a few really interesting things. I mean, one, the big quote that everyone took away with from it was Miles Brennan, you know, like get on the bandwagon is what he was saying. Like, let's go. Miles Brennan's about to take off. I think just one kind of small one that really stood out to me was him talking about Racy McMath. And he said, I think Racy McMath is going to have kind of, a, this is going to be a breakout year for Racy McMath. And the reason that's relevant to me, I think is because one, we've always been curious who's going to be the third receiver this year. Right. And we thought maybe Trey Palmer, maybe Kayshawn Butte, they still might, but Racy McMath's an interesting example because he's somebody we bring up a lot. He's known as like the superstar on special teams, like a six foot three, two hundred twenty five pound, just freak. He's built, and he's always like yeah. in the loop with the receivers. But in my two years covering the team, I don't think I've ever heard a coach or player really give any insight about what they think of him as a receiver. You know what I mean? Like it's always like Racy's Racy's there, but you never like do they like him there? I never really knew. So to hear Steve Ensminger actually kind of come out and say, like, we think he's going to be a, a big piece, I think that just kind of makes me feel more confident that, all right, maybe he is 
the clear front runner to to get that that fifth spot as you always ask about in the of the core five skill players well so that's where this becomes interesting is he kind of chose a bad year to 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 come of age in terms of last year because <laughs> was he not the would you consider him the fourth receiver last year yeah definitely right so he was so he's the fourth receiver however that just comes in a year when LSU got has its most legendary eleven personnel and commitment to eleven personnel that it's ever had, and so <coughs> excuse me. Although you're the fourth receiver, and like all the I know, no cough button at home. Uh, all you're the fourth receiver, and you know, in any other year, like you would have gotten a fair amount of snaps, four wide, maybe some five wide, but this year. They just ran everything out of love personnel until you mainly were relegated to the bench, save for filling in for some time for Terrace Marshall. So, I mean, yeah, look, as far as a guy who's been, when you hear about him, like a great team guy, staff uh, staff behind him, um, teammates behind him, I, I would like to see him get some valuable offensive and, uh, playing time. And And think about it this way. If that's the case, here's what this tells you. LSU's offense in 2020 is going to be huge. Is that okay? So there's already been the implication that you know they're going to move the receivers around a lot more than they did last year. In the sense that I think you're, I have a gut feeling Jamar Chase will almost. I'm not going to call him the slot receiver, but I think we'll see him in the slot quite a bit. And if your if your three receivers are Racy McMath, Terrace Marshall, and Jamar Chase is like theoretically your slot guy, and Jamar Ooh. Chase's best traits are almost like your physicality and whatnot. Jesus Christ, and then who's going to Eric Gilbert? <laughs> And then Eric Gilbert's the tight end who's almost – hes I mean, I think he's more of – if we're being honest, he's probably the third receiver over Racy McMath if we think of it that way. That's a six foot five, two hundred what, 240-pound freak right there. Yeah. I, I, what do you do if, like, if you put Jamar in the slot and Eric Gilbert in the other slot? That means you're putting you – know, Racy McMath, for example, is the least worried about guy on the field, and he's a freak, physical freak of nature. Now you're putting him in one-on-one with a corner. You're basically challenging these small corners to match up with – Terrace Marshall and Racy McMath, for example, or, or even Eric Gilbert. And then if you do leave them with Jamar Chase, well, Jamar Chase is the best receiver in the country, and he wins every one-on-one. So I, I, I'm not saying this receiving core is going to be better by any means. I'm just, I think from a matchup point of view, it almost seems ridiculously difficult. Did you see the uh, the actual Jamar Chase PFF college stat on his grade against one-on-one coverage? And I didn't is, see this, it. I, I, yeah. So, so this is facing obviously some of the top cornerbacks in the nation as well. Uh, he graded out at like a ninety-six last year. Yeah. Just dominated one-on-one coverage. So, yeah, put him wherever you want, man. And what uh, always blew me away the numbers about will those, follow. What always blew me away about those games, though, it wasn't even just you know he was double covered pretty much what every game since Mississippi State. You know, right like before even midseason. Yeah, and it was amazing how he would probably only get four to five single coverage plays a game like that doesn't seem like an exaggeration it's somewhere in that range but those four to five plays no matter what LSU saw it took advantage and they executed it it was that's kind of like when I point to what this offense did well and I think I've said this here before but like that stands out it's just a perfect example of it's always about finding the mismatch so that you only get those small handful of plays a game to execute with Jamar Chase in a one-on-one, and they just always nailed it. And I think that one both shows how smart they were last year and it also shows just how ridiculously efficient they were. 
Yeah, and and speaking of, uh, want to join Coach E on that Miles Brennan bandwagon? Uh, I mean that that's what he has to prove that he can do. Because to your point, Brody, like the entire game, um, obviously the coaches are trying to manipulate things in a way to engineer those one-on-one snaps to to kind of to, to to put it to where Jamar Chase gets his opportunities. But even if they engineer that, it is still then on the quarterback to to 100%. see that. And to know that he can attack that, and, and you saw the just the trust that uh, Joe Burrow and Jamar had, Chase had with each other. I mean, if he knew he was one on one, he knew he was going there with the ball, and the majority of the time, Chase was making him right. And and we had a really great conversation with Coach Moffat last week about analytics and how they do things nowadays, and how it compares in the past. And it was fascinating for a number of reasons, but. One of the things they got him to go into is like what makes Jamar Chase so special just from a physical standpoint. And, and, and it's just for his size, his, his strength is outstanding. Uh, he, he is going to be able, like his explosiveness, his strength is going to be nearly unparalleled for anybody that he'll match up with. So, so, so look, th- th- this kind of goes into right what I talked to Coach Joe about this morning. And right, what is just becoming increasingly clear, and even that we've touched on uh, on this show a lot, is that when you look at this LSU team, um, the skill positions look great. Like the wide receiver group, as you said, just throw Eric Gilbert in there, and so we'll throw tight ends in there. Look great. Um, the running back room, while there's not a proven guy, like that's a very talented room. You you, you don't have any concerns there. Um, defensively. The defensive backfield, spectacular. Todd Harris returning. Derek Singley Jr., Jacoby Stevens. Uh, they love Jordan Tolles. Like, the defensive backfield's going to be great. Even at linebacker, you know, defensive line, obviously. They're as loaded there as they have been since Ogeron got the job. And then even at linebacker, yeah, you're light, but you just brought in a guy now in Jabril Cox who was a top 70 NFL recruit. This last season. So, like, all of a sudden, you feel pretty good between Cox and then you got on your front line, um, or between Cox and, you know, the guy with the potential of like a Marcel Brooks and uh, where Demone it is, Clark. Demone Clark. Yeah, Demone Clark come into that equation as well. And, and so, I mean, it is just increasingly clear that this team, everything hinges on James Craig and that offensive line. And that's where Kojo started his answer this morning was just that, look, first off, we got James Craig. He's done a spectacular job, and he has, but I don't know that James Craig has had – well, uh, maybe I'll ask you, has James Craig had as tough of a challenge as he's looking at this year? Because it is a bit odd in that there are a lot of unknowns, but then again, he has a lot more bodies than he did in the past. Like his first spring, I think they had eight scholarship offensive linemen that were uh, available for practice, and – They've got like 12 or 15 now, but I just I, I look at that center position. I don't see a great answer. I look at that left tackle position. I don't see a great answer, and that that concerns me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think we'd be lying if we said this was harder than 2018 because 2018, which is funny because actually going into 2018, we kind of thought offensive line was going to be like a strength, and we were just inherently wrong. And you add in the Ed Ingram's, you know, missing the whole season and all that stuff. But, but and, regardless and of that, and, we, and we were just wrong. To, to throw this in there, though, the as we talked, bad. yes, as we talked about multiple times, that was not a scheme that put players in a position to succeed. It's not cool when your coaches want you to. Hold your max protect <laughs> blocks cool. for like six seconds. <laughs> Dick move, bro. <laughs> yeah. 
the fuck? Um, yeah, okay, get, yeah, rid so, of the, get rid of the ball. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think it's more challenging, but there's definitely more of a pressure. There's more of an attention because it's what we're all talking about and all those things. But yeah, to get to the other part you said, I do think it's a little easier because you like the number of bodies you have and you like... I, like there's nine guys on that offensive line that in some form of another they actually really like. I think in 2018 there was six tops, and that mm-hmm. even might be pretty generous. So I think that's kind of the only thing I go back to. There's still oh, tons of so, so doubt you're feeling, here. So you're feeling a little. It sounds like you're feeling a little more I don't optimistic. Think, I agree. It's the weakness I, of the team. I don't want to like make. I don't want to. I'm just comparing it to 2018. That's all. Yeah. But no, I, I think I think it's a question mark on the team. I think. You know, no matter how good you think Dare Rosenthal is, which he seems like he's pretty good, he's still being asked to be a left tackle and he's never been a main guy before. That's a lot to ask. You don't know what's going to happen with some of those open jobs. As much as I think Austin Deculus has proven a lot of us wrong, I don't exactly, he's the most experienced, and I don't, I'll never consider Austin Deculus some all SEC guy until proven otherwise. You know what I mean? He's a perfectly solid starter. So, yeah, I'm just saying, like, yeah, I think it's a big question mark. I just think. Now, at least this time, if, say, Anthony Bradford wins that right guard job and it's just not working, all right, you feel pretty good about Cardell Thomas sliding in there or Liam Shanahan sliding That's in true. there. You know, say, Chase and Hines doesn't work out. You feel good about... You know, maybe maybe like jo- Joseph Evans enough we'll to see give him a that, chance that, already. That's that's the one position that I would push back on because I do agree a left tackle yeah. like you like. Hey, what do you know about wire. being a center? Yeah, right. I know. I, I, I at left tackle, I I agree that Wire and Rosenthal like you should get a winner out of the two. Uh, Ogeron this morning actually called Anthony Bradford maybe the most talented offensive really lineman in the room. Uh, so that shows you where they think about where his direction's going because like. That's in a room with a guy like Ed Ingram, who you know I think will be a big uh, NFL type prospect eventually. Um, so so they they love Bradford, and then as you said, like they like Cardell Thomas too. So like the winner that right tackle or right guard, it's a bit like running back where you feel okay. But center man, the the the, the problem yeah. here is it's like. It's not just that they don't have a guy that's never done it mentally, right? So this this is a guy who's going to have to learn to really read defenses, make the calls, communicate the calls. But they don't really have a guy that's ever done it physically. And I'm just talking about the base action of a consistent shotgun snap, right? Like, I, I is, is is Chasen Hines there yet? I hope so. I, I, I don't know. I can't imagine that Joseph Evans is. I mean, you need thousands yeah. of reps before that thing becomes kind of second nature. And then so if, if, if you're even talking about maybe that being a barrier of entry and then you throw in trying to make the correct calls and trying to be the leader and get everybody on the same page and then the relationship with the quarterback to where y'all can work together and audible each other's calls. I just... I got major concerns, and when you're working in a new quarterback, a little football insider knowledge here for everybody listening, if you're working in a new quarterback, it's not good to be working in a new center and left tackle as well. That's a good point. That's that's not ideal. (laughs) And I guess you're right, because one of those things that people do talk about it, but I don't think they give enough talk, is you need a guy who's going to be – the most vocal guy on that offensive line, right? The guy, it doesn't, you tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think it always has to be the center. It just usually is. You know, like, for no, example, it, does, yeah, years, it, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, I, I but, don't think it, you're not married. It doesn't have to be. Somebody but else I don't, can yeah, step up. But there's really nobody else that's obvious. I think Ed Ingram is probably your best bet at being that guy. 
But yeah, you know, it's it's you're just kind of convincing me that yeah, I don't think even no matter all the good things you hear about Chase and Hines, I don't think any of those things are man. He's a really vocal, you know, high IQ guy who's calling things out. I just don't think it might be one day. It's just not his strengths right now. So yeah, yeah, so gotta, it, it is I, a good. I just got to see it. I, I just got to yeah. see it, and it it'll and it makes you run be... realize that Liam Shanahan that might be another reason they brought him in is that I I kind of doubt Liam Shanahan's one of the top talent guys they like at the that group, but maybe they get to a point where they need somebody who they can just really trust to be the IQ guy out there and the veteran out there. Maybe maybe that is a thing that if things go bad, they really need. I'm not predicting that, but it's a card they have. Yeah, it's it's just, you know, it, I would uh, if if you get to that point, then the situ- center situation is probably even a bit worse than I thought it was. But it's <laughs> yeah, still fair. it's still a little uh it's it's still just a little bit of a depth play, right? Like a little bit of a safety net so that you're not and, and that is something that I think also and you kind of touched on this, but that is something that I do think deserves to be highlighted in terms of a positive is that when Ogeron took over this job, as I said, that spring, they had eight scholarship offensive linemen. If nothing else, while they have unknowns, from a roster management standpoint, it seems like they have done a much better job of filling up that room. And so this this fall camp, whatever shape that takes – probably turns into like uh, okay we got all these guys let's throw everybody against the wall somebody's gonna stick better than the others and then that'll just be who we'll ride with and you got to kind of hope for the best at that point um so that's just something i've been thinking about a lot lately because the more the more i look at this team like i said everywhere else they look so damn solid and like and you could have a chance to be really good two years in a row i mean even look at the schedule man uh, o-, o was talking about it this morning. That that Florida opportunity is pretty massive, and that's the game that they're game planning this week. But like, you open with UTSA, right? And yeah. then uh, then there's Texas, and obviously that's the big one um, because UTSA is kind of like a preseason game. Get get right, and and then it's going to be a real challenge for all those new guys. But after that, what do you have? Let me let me look it up here. I think you got Rice. Yeah. I think you then have Ole Miss. I think then you got Nichols, and then you have Florida. Well, if I'm a new center or I'm a new left tackle, that is a relatively friendly schedule to be learning to play with uh, in that you can get basically half a season under your belt where each given week, like, you should be better than the team you're facing. Like, just not, not should be. You will be. From a talent standpoint, you will be better overall in the team that you're squaring up with. And then so it's like, okay, you cut your teeth there. You grow a little bit. You make your mistakes. And then you got Florida. And you got to go to the swamp. And as I said, I think that's a loss. I think that Florida is the best team in the East this year. But, like, if you win that game, she, you're off to the races. I mean, then then what? Then, it, then it's Arkansas and Mississippi State and then Alabama. So, like, those are the two tests, right? If you get past the early on Texas, Florida's like a graduate exam. And then you're probably looking at if you manage to do that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you're probably looking at eight and oh going into Alabama again. Get the hype train started, bro. That would be awesome. It'd be great. No, yeah, I can't argue that at all. Um that's a good point. Cause yeah, I mean you look back at twenty eighteen as a you know, just to keep going back to that. I mean, I think by the time the Florida game came that year, they had already been through so much, right? They had been through the, the Miami game, which they lost one of their starters. Don't forget that. And then, then you go through the Auburn game and all those things. So by the time Florida came, 
they were such a mess and they didn't have options and everyone was hurt and all that stuff. And this year, yeah, you can actually kind of ease your way up to that point, figure out what's working, figure out what isn't, have a little battle testing, you know, in you. And yeah, you can probably, you know, you could probably project this O line just progressing better than 2018 did. So yeah, you, you I would hope so. You've, yeah, it's, it's all good points. Uh, and I guess it remains to be seen if it if it works out or not. Um, I'm trying to think about other things that Coach O said about the O-line before we move on. Well, one thing uh, on I mean, the D-line he said was really interesting was he kind of sounded like he's higher on Andre Anthony right now than uh, T.K. McClendon, which is a change than from even like a month ago, I feel like. Look, sometimes we have to get out of toxic relationships in order to really find ourselves and be our best selves. And Andre Anthony and Ray Thornton just finally had to break up. They were they were they, they, they were mentioned in tandem. We need for to years. ask them about this. This is just like a stu- this is like a stupid joke we have, but we have to ask them. Like, do you guys feel tied together? Or is that- I mean, every time a potential defensive end was mentioned, it was always those two names back to back. You know, like they're so- you know Ray, Ant- Ray Ray Thornton and Andre Anthony. They're solid guys. You know, it's always the same. Yeah, like, yeah, it's always the same yeah. description. It's like, yeah, no, they're they're experienced. And now under Coach Pelini, it looks like uh, there there is opportunity for change, and Andre Anthony is making the most of it. So, so they him. You know who they love, um, and who, he said Justin Thomas and Anthony as the starters right now. Absolutely. If he had to project, and then uh, they, they made it sound like him uh, gone. No, no, you gone. Well, I was gonna say it, but it sounds like McClendon and Anthony are pretty much battling for that spot. But it yes. seems like Thomas has his, and then who's the other person you're saying? And then they love B.J. Ujolari. Maybe not as yeah. an every down guy, but uh, but uh, but I believe that they think that B.J. Ujolari can be um, one of the one of the best pass rushers, if not maybe even the best in the entire team. So I've been uh, excited to tell you something about him, but I've been holding ooh. off because I like I just feel like you're gonna enjoy this because he he. I've been waiting to write it. I was going to write the story on it, but it doesn't seem like it's coming out for a while, so I'm just going to say. Well, did you know that B.J. Ojolari is the, the grandson of a, an African prince, a Nigerian prince? Whoa. Like, this I is not like, like a fishing scam. This is like a legitimate thing you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. He is, his, his grandfather was like a prince of a tribe in Nigeria, what? and he ended up being a very famous, like not very, but a famous artist in the Americas and whatnot. And, what? And whatnot, but both his parents are Nigerian immigrants. Yeah. So there's some royalty on that side. Literal, I knew you would enjoy that. Literal yeah. royal blood on the LSU football team. Well, dude, I mean, fuck any offensive line questions. That's a natty. It's on. <laughs> We're good to go. I mean, you can't lose, dude. Uh, wow, what an impressive figure. Uh, yeah, go ahead and write that article so I don't have to do the legwork. I want to read about his grandfather now. Anybody that goes from being royalty to then a successful artist like, and then produces this freak athlete uh and his brother's a stud in georgia too damn that that is some fascinating stuff right there um all right i look for okay i look forward to it brody you know what else i look forward to (laughs) uh an article that you were teasing that's coming out tomorrow morning untold stories from the season now i don't want to get you know i i want people to still be incentivized to read it so i want you to reveal what you're <laughs> comfortable revealing um nah, but look man the further we get away from this season already it's clear the more kind of cherished and beloved it's becoming and it seems like i don't know if it's partially the pandemic the success of last dance but like right now you just can't get enough, right, about 2019 LSU football team. Like, it's just every, everything is interesting, every little morsel. So what have you cooked up for the Tigers fans in the Athletics Kitchen? 
Well, yeah. So, I mean, as you probably noticed, we're doing like a series this week of just kind of the, the general theme is best teams ever. So, yeah, right. Like we Monday, we had a story breaking down the 25 best teams ever using a bunch of metrics. And then which we'll get Bruce to. Feldman. Yeah. And then Bruce Feldman had a breakdown of the 79 team, 79 USC team. Sorry. Uh, and then like, you know, we've had a bunch of different content out this week. And, and one thing we pitched was just kind of like. What else can we say about this 2019 team? Because obviously there's so much to, you know, it's going to be high on that list. And we kind of decided just like to almost clear out the notebook, right? Of all the stuff that maybe I couldn't write during the season because it would have ruffled some feathers or just like different stories that yeah. just kind of you know, background along the way. So it, I don't want to overhype it because it's unfortunate that it's getting pitched as like the untold you know, stories. Because <laughs> it's like, it sounds like this epic behind the scenes. Like, yeah. Looking, like, well, no. Basically, it's just like a compilation of cool, lesser-known stories that people probably don't know. So, you know, for example, one of the first stories is, you know, a, a, pre, a preseason fight that was, like, apparently an absolute... You might have heard about this, an absolute crazy I did crazy not hear pre-season. about this. I'm into it. <laughs> apparently, I mean, I won't ruin it, but apparently it's Joe Burrow versus Jacoby Stevens. Wow. And it's Joe Burrow going up and, like, grabbing Jacoby Stevens' face mask and, like... But, okay, I have to throw this part in there because you'll enjoy this as an offensive lineman. So one of the people who's telling me this, and a lot of it's told anonymously, but it's they're like the entire team clears. You know, Caleb Chason even has like a messed up ACL, and he's not practicing, and he runs into the fight. Wait, was this <laughs> in spring? Was this in the spring so, scrimmage? So, yeah, there's mixed comments about where it's from. One guy, I think, thought it was fall. A few others thought it was spring. There's been mixed, so I kind of like leave it open-ended, but I think it was spring. So I have a little bit maybe that I can add to this then because um, my, my my old man knows you're on a very close, right? And so yeah. for you, you know, this the scrimmage that is closed off to the public the week before the um, public scrimmage, right? During spring, the one yeah. where they're actually kind of going at each other. Um, I managed to sneak my way in there because my old man was in town. I know I wanted him to go check out the team. And so I was like, look, I got my granddaughter. She would love to get to go see her grandpa. Like, you know, is it cool if I go and she can watch the game with the old man? And, and so they let me. And, yeah, I don't know if it's that fight, but in that scrimmage, there was a uh, kerfuffle on one of the sidelines where absolutely Joe Burrow was in the middle of it, scrapping, uh, <laughs> fighting starting members of the defense. And I know it's very cliche, but, like, that is that is one of the ways in which a quarterback can kind of win over his offensive lineman, win over his teammates, mm-hmm. is proven that uh, that he ain't scared about stuff like that, that he's down to get physical. And obviously with Burrow, we know that because we saw it throughout the year. He is he is not he, he doesn't shy away from physicality, which I, I think just not not because it's any criticism against Miles. It's just that we don't know because we haven't seen him play like. That's got to be one of the biggest questions to me is is where is that kind of physical and mental toughness at? Like like we saw, we know he could physically ball. When he got his opportunities last year, he did well. Like like he went out there and operated efficiently. I think he might have led a couple scoring touchdown drives, but these were all no pressure, go and have fun type of situations. What happens when he, he gets hit with that adversity We'll, we'll we'll have to see, but uh, maybe he carried over some of those lessons from. Yeah, Jimmy I mean, B. I believe he's progressing in a lot of ways, right? I believe he's gotten stronger. I believe he's better with pocket presence and dealing with pressure and all those things. Like I think that's true. I think he works harder than he used to. But there's some things that just are 
innate and who you are. And I just, yeah, I mean, that's not, a, I'm not criticizing Miles Brennan. I just, he's like that Joe Burrow personality is one in a million. Yeah, he's just not. I don't think Miles yeah. Brennan's ever going to be the guy who's going to run up to a linebacker safety and like try to fight them. That's just not who it's, he is. And, and maybe I'm wrong, uh, but it doesn't seem like that. It. Burrow, that Burrow personality, beyond just randomly having the same <laughs> favorite drink of, what is it, seven up and. Uh, orange juice, I believe both Burrow and Michael Jordan randomly enjoy. Um, but <laughs> I but don't be it. so okay. No, so Burrow, when we interviewed him, randomly talked about how his drink of choice has always been like Seven Up and OJ. And oh, then I do in one that. of yep. the first Last Dance episodes, and this and so Michael Jordan says the same thing, and I thought for sure that Burrow drank that because of Michael Jordan, but that is not the case. Come to find out, it is just pure happy accident that both these guys like seven up and oj together and i guess why that's funny is because i've been kind of shocked in the similarities in terms of like sociopathic personality right just compete win no matter what lead by example drag everybody else across with you it's been really interesting watching this documentary and then thinking about the lens of burrow so uh yeah i don't uh, it's 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 tough to as you said it's a bit of a moonshot to find anyone with that level of uh, competitive drive and Miles just it's 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 like Steve Insminger said at the caravan right he wants what do you say he wants uh, Miles Brennan to be the best Miles he can be yeah and that's that's what Brennan's gonna have to gonna have to figure out um, okay so any any more any more stories from tomorrow's uh, release that that, <laughs> that you want to talk about here. One that is, one more, well, oh no, there's one part of the fight I wanted to throw in that I thought you'd okay, love, yeah. is that it's our guy. Um, so, you know, apparently when you look back on the film of the fight, you'll notice everybody is fighting except one person, and it's Adrian McGee is just sitting drinking water while the whole team is fighting because he's tired. <laughs> our guy, that's our, yeah, uh, our boy. Look, you can only be, uh, be true to thine self, right? There is nothing more honest from an offensive lineman than not defending your quarterback or engaging. <laughs> like, in I don't fight. care that much, man. You're tired, though, dude. I mean, come on. You've been out there. It's hot outside. Maybe you just finished a rep. Yeah, like, this is a golden opportunity to get yourself a little water. Hell yeah, Adrian McGee. I love it, dude. Um, yeah, I respect it. You got it. But, yeah, it, and, and just to preview the story, I mean, yeah, it's just – it's not – it's stories like that. It's not like a fight or – there's one about like a wrong call in a game that weirdly like a complete accident that completely accidentally worked out or little stories of you know just like stuff before a play or uh, well one guy wrestle like one guy body slamming an ironing board st- just goofy huh? stuff like what? that but but don't expect some massive behind the scenes you know look back I guess you know go to any Bruce good, Feldman's any, book any, any, any good Tommy Moffat for that. I didn't. I feel like the Tommy Moffat behind this like stuff. That's just so out in the open now. You know, like everybody knows most of the hell. uh, Wilson Alexander, the advocate, did a great story on it last fall. I mean, everybody's kind of everyone knows the Tommy Moffat stories. Yeah, and I guess there's like gifts of him out there, like getting a metal folding chair slammed over his back pregame. So nothing would really surprise anyone at this point in the (laughs) Coach Moffat regard. Um, All right, so look for that article on the Athletic. It's going to be great. Um, now let's get to the 25 greatest teams of all time. There's 25 most dominant teams ever. Um, I'm, I'm okay. As I'm scrolling here, I'm finding where, 
Okay, so here were the criteria. The pool of possible candidates were narrowed to consider only teams that were um, either – you had to be a national champion. So uh, you had to be uh, – they, they, okay, all national champions were eligible. All other AP top five teams that finished with perfect records, which is 11 teams, were eligible. And then actually an AP number two team – that lost only to the final number one team by one score was. I kind of like that addition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So do I. So do I. That that, that maybe shows because because I, I think it gives value two ways, right? Because not only does that recognize the number two team that was great and deserves some recognition, but then it also reinforces just how good the team that beat them. Um, yeah. Was. Well, let me think of it this way. Like, no matter what you tell me, I don't care what anyone says. The twenty the two thousand seven Patriots are the best football team I've ever seen. Like I don't wow. it doesn't matter. Like they, they lost by one score and that's how sports work and sometimes but that's one data point over a nineteen game and it's unfortunate and the Giants earned it and all those things. But like no matter what, the O seven Patriots are the best team I've ever watched. So like that's why I love that that's in there. Or, you know, even I'm sure one example is gonna be the O five uh, you know, USC team. You know, I just think you have to recognize those. That's all. That's my tangent. And uh, so among other factors, the Athletic evaluated wins against teams ranked in the final AP poll. So not at the time of the game. Uh, scoring offense, scoring defense, point differential, yards per play, yards per play allowed, uh, yard per play differential, sports reference simple rating system, which I've never heard of, which adjusts points differential for strength of opponent. Um, percentage of games won by two plus possessions, talent level. They got into like, okay, who went, who were all Americans, who went to be top 100 draft picks, future NFL Pro Bowlers, which for a team like LSU still remains to be seen. Uh, so, so I guess the bottom line is that this is a very, you know, I, I think this is about as number based as a top 25 list as you're going to find, right? There's now maybe you don't agree like with how or with what metrics they're using or how they did him, but there's not a lot of um opinion in this in in this list at least Which not 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 in my view, and uh, and so they had 79 teams initially. Um, anybody that lost by double digits or lost or tied teams that finished unranked got eliminated immediately, and then uh, and then eventually this this kind of list got spit out. And this current year's LSU team comes in at number four. And you're like, wow, four. I mean, that that's, that's awesome. That's pretty like, damn good. It's yeah, pretty yeah. damn good. Four all time, right? That's awesome. But like surely a lot of LSU fans are gonna be kinda scratching their heads like, wait, you beat you know, you beat seven ranked teams and all the or seven top ten, whatever it was. You had uh five wins over teams that finished in the top ten, seven that finished ranked. That's what it was. Um you won uh, five of those time final top eight teams. You won by an average – or excuse me. You had five wins over teams that finished in the final top eight. Four of those wins came by an average of 23 points. Joe Burrow in the SEC title in two playoff games averaged uh, – or LSU averaged 600 yards and Burrow threw for 16 touchdowns and no picks. So, yes, it is – it is absurd. What 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 gets maybe even crazier is when you look at the teams that finished ahead of them and you realize the ninety five like, okay, Nebraska you, you, stats are absurd. Yeah, you I mean, you you've you, kind okay. of forgotten like just how that's what I think I enjoy about some of these this. old teams were. Because that's what I enjoy about it is that I think most of us were like, well, I think you and I kind of are in a similar point of 
I'm not saying LSU is the best team, but they probably have the best resume. It's kind of what we always like banked on. Yeah, that was the but the back. fact that this is purely, yeah, like but the fact that this is completely you know data based and, and numbers and all that, and to find out that they're not even, I think that's what was kind of illuminating. Was like, wow, Nebraska didn't play as many top teams, but beat number two, number five, number seven, and number nine. They're smallest margin of victory all year was 14 points and the other one came by 23 and my favorite is that in the fiesta bowl they played florida which is another historically great team that beat all 12 opponents uh by double digits uh, that's uh, in the sec that's incredible and nebraska beat that florida team 62 24 yeah. So that's like the craziest thing. Like, to 24. And, to and, beat and another Florida, all-time team. Yeah. Yeah. Florida, as that's you said, amazing. undefeated. And then their their uh, their final wins were over number three, Tennessee, and number four, Florida State. They won both those games with double digits. And then they gave up over 500 rushing yards to Tommy Frazier and that Nebraska Cornhusker attack, dude. It's so like I know nothing about that team. I besides Tommy Frazier, I know literally no one else on that roster. But I have to respect that argument because that's just absurd. I mean, look look at these look at these score lines. They win the opener sixty four twenty one, and there's no cupcakes. Then it's fifty to except 10. Pacific. Yeah, then it's yeah. The, everybody oh, else they played is power what? five. How many games? Twelve, and only one is not Power Five. Yeah, I mean that's that's not how it is in twenty twenty. Like that's crazy. Actually, I know not, not all those teams were great, but Washington State, the the biggest challenger, uh, <laughs> managing a thirty five twenty one loss. I mean, like it's sixty four twenty fifty to ten seventy seven twenty eight against Arizona State fifty seven nothing to Mizzou forty nine twenty five Kansas State seventy three to fourteen. Versus Iowa State, and then it goes on on thirty-seven zero against Oklahoma, and then in the, in the Fiesta Bowl sixty-two to twenty-four, outgaining in the national championship, outgaining an undefeated Florida team six hundred twenty-nine to two hundred sixty-nine. So not only did you outscore them by forty, but you outgained it by nearly four hundred yards. That is. Absurd. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to put myself in Florida's shoes. Like, I, I've kind of been there, right, as a member of that 2011 yeah. LSU team. But nobody ever talks about this. And, you know, obviously nobody really talks about the 2011 team either. But, like, poor poor 2005 Florida. They were great. They had everything yeah. going for them. And then they, one weren't out. Even, they weren't even close to getting that natty. So, uh, man, I, I get it now. I've always heard about 95 Nebraska. I had never seen it kind of laid out this clearly so who else is ahead of lsu uh this is also a classic one well number two i was gonna say number two miami we have to shout out just one miami i mean that's probably the most talented football team ever i i I don't even see i mean yeah 15 first round picks 13 players went on to make a pro bowl that's just ridiculous that's weird that doesn't make any sense (laughs) their running backs were willis mcgahee clinton portis and frank gore and i'm yeah Correct me if I'm wrong. No, that was not. Was that the year McGahee was out for the year, or Gore was um, out for the year? Like one of them. Gore Gore was always. Or was hurt that 2002 in okay, college? Yeah. And then at one, and then McGahee was the man. And then at one point, McGahee got his leg like snapped in half, right? And then was yeah, O two, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure. I, I, I don't even way, remember Portis being much on that team. It's it's kind of shocking. See, I don't remember Gore being much. I remember Gore always being like, oh, this guy's actually maybe the best, but he just was constantly hurt. Well, sure enough, Gore's 
gone on to actually have the best playing, NFL yeah. career out of uh, all those then, guys. So, yeah, so the, the running Brian back. Brian McKinney kind of, was top 10 as a Heisman voter as a lineman. Ken Dorsey obviously didn't amount to much, but, I mean, he was a star. Andre, Jansen, Andre Johnson and Jeremy Shockey are the receiver and tight end. Ed Reed was on that team, right? Like, it's just – that is the most absurd team I've ever seen. The interesting part about this, too, is that Larry Coker is the coach <laughs> attached to that team. And, and, and it's funny because normally in college football, like, the coach gets all the credit, and rightfully so. They are the end-all, be-all. But I think it's pretty well accepted that – Larry Coker inherited that team and was kind of just along for the ride. I mean, the U part two was not kind to Larry Coker. No, dude, where the players were like, it was basically like, yeah, no, we didn't even respect him. (laughs) It's like, no, we just told him to kind of stay out of the way. And then we went and did our thing. Uh, So from a resume standpoint, what can they claim? Like, you know, they have the talent. They had um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They had seven ranked wins. Actually, I mean, Hmm, I'm trying to think from a purely they won by an average of 33 points from a purely uh, and this is probably why they didn't beat 95 Nebraska from a pure resume standpoint it's 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 not like the most impressive no, um, I, I think beating number eight Nebraska was actually their their top uh, their top ranked win. But but the the talent to come out of it combined with going undefeated and win the Natty, I think, is how they end up. And number two, and then how about this? This just shows how sad it is how far Nebraska has fallen. But the the lone other team ahead of 2019 LSU is 1971 Nebraska, which uh, I know nothing about. <laughs> nothing. No, no. Nothing at all. I'm not even gonna try. We don't even need to go down that rabbit hole. I just don't even know anything about it. I think – just a few quick takeaways from this that jumped out. And I, I don't even know if this is fair, but no Saban team ranks higher than twenty third than 13th. 2011, oh. Alabama's mm. 13th. So you're saying Joe like, Joe's not, better than Saban? <laughs> and then he also had the 14th ranked team and a few others. But, like, it's just kind of <laughs> telling. That I also think that's an example, though, of the Alabama fatigue, that, like, they all just blend. And never mind, maybe not because it's all numbers-based, but – they all just blend in together. So if you ask me right now what the best Alabama team was, I would have had no clue what to tell you. Well, I, I kind of think maybe this. like fifteen. I don't know, but I, I would say this on. for Alabama is that um, it, it almost not being this high on this list is almost a credit to Saban <laughs> to me because it speaks less to like a stars aligning situation and just having consistent success, right? Um, whereas like some like 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 Larry Coker, right? And and you hope that Ogeron is more uh who is Nebraska's coach in ninety five, was that Osborne? That was you, Osborne, yeah. Yeah, you hope that he's more Osborne and less Larry Coker. And I think he is for whatever it's worth. But like but Saban, despite maybe not having just that kind of moonshot team, still has multiple natties and still has some teams on this list. In fact, so is their highest one twenty eleven Alabama? It is. Ironic, yeah, which ironic. you know well. Yeah, yeah. given that they uh, actually, I think are they, they're not the first team with one loss, though. I think uh, Florida, 96 Florida, is the first team with one loss. But Hey, um, shout out to that Florida team. They came back from 95 and, won, and still had the best top 15 team. Oh, yeah, there you go. And that, and that was the only natty that, uh, that, that Spurrier won, right? I believe so. Oh, Off there you my go. Head. Congrats the one that to, jumped out uh, to me also, 2013 Florida State was number 
eight, which has to just because wow. this is all numbers based. That has to just be more of a statement about the competition they played, right? Because that's I mean, they had bro, one of the best margin. They have the best margin of victory ever, but it's not an impressive uh, ranked win thing section at all. You have number two Auburn that was obviously in the natty, and you went a close one there, thirty four thirty one. Then number That's eight Clemson, game, you beat fifty one fourteen. That was that was good. I remember uh, that game well. That was like the, that was the ultimate Clemsoning game. That was like when Clemsoning yeah. really became a verb. And then the only other ranked win they have is against Duke, forty five to seven. So. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I mean, say James that was, that was amazing a, that season. I'm he not was. He was, that, dude. But, and and the final but drive. Damn, that's high. I mean, the final drive with him and Ooh. Kelvin Benjamin in the natty. That it was, was sick, dude. Stuff. It was sick. That's one of my man. favorite title games ever. Honestly, if you ask me, that comes to mind because that was just like a chess match the whole way. This kind of speaks to the the ACC. I think you're right, Brody Pink. Yeah. This would actually be a situation where almost pure numbers based arguments can get a bit wonky. And, and and I know that they and it obviously got more right than wrong. So whatever you take it, but like I know that they tried to adjust for opponent and everything. But yeah, I'm with you, man. 2013 well, Florida even State tough does with, not stand out like that to me. And I mean, not to downplay that season, but 2019 LSU is going to be tough because the numbers are going to be so historically off the chart. But that's also like a little bit. I mean, let's put it this way: like when you're just going by scale, offenses just put up more yards now than they did. So like you know, well, say okay, there might have been an offense. That's that where it gets a bit weird, in though. Seventy six or something. But that's where it gets a bit weird because ninety five Nebraska looks even I know, I know. higher scoring than LSU does, right? I mean, they're running the triple option or whatever, and they're throwing out like sixties and seventies and fifties. Right. So I don't. It's I, I kind of had a, a similar feeling where I'm watching Last Dance and like the 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 uh the game, game I have a four, lot of thoughts about that game four of the of the 97 finals right with a minute left it was like 74 to 73 and it's like wow dude basketball just scoring wise has evolved so much in the past years but then I look at a chart that came across on Twitter about like the 1960s MVP race and I think Will Chamberlain or somebody was second on the list, and he averaged fifty and twenty-five. He averaged fifty and twenty-five. I have a lot of second. Well, there's a reason he didn't the win MVP. MVP voting. It's because he didn't win. He never won. I saw your tweet. I wanted to respond to you, but I don't like being the person to like, you know, get. Who cares, dude? Like, fifty and twenty-five. What are you talking about? Sometimes Will has his fair share of MVPs. I mean, let's not. He didn't that's get, what like, I'm saying. Some, some, sometimes but, MVPs come down to who's just the most statistically dominant. I guess the point is, is that even though we always think that gaudy numbers are a recent thing, gaudy numbers can kind of come and go. All right, well played. Uh, a right, little well bit. Played. I do gotta say, man, my 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 argument that makes me the most mad is all the stuff about how like. 2010s players couldn't play in the 90s like and no, yeah I'm not, arguing ever, it, it, I'm not arguing it's more physical back then and a lot of guys now would not be able to handle that I'm actually not arguing that at all but go back and watch a full 90s game this is like Ryan Rosillo has done a lot of really good stuff on and like I always felt this way but this really like made me feel better about it was you know a little confirmation bias but like look at those games the complexity on offense is embarrassing it's literally just like Michael Jordan has, or whoever, you know, I don't want to just hope, hope on that. Like, it, whatever star has the ball, 
And then everybody on the court is just kind of like bunched together. There's no spacing. It's just like bully ball trying to get a basket. It's it's terrible. And, well, it, and, even, it's, and even within it, that, the Bulls were better than most with the triangle offense and like right. trying to. That's why I didn't try, want to hope on trying Bulls, yeah. to get some of that that ball moving go. But no, I mean you look back at like. A team and also, like they didn't play the Spurs, like, they, where it was just Tim Duncan and David Robinson, just like throw it in the post and and let them exactly. win those battles. The Spurs later became one of the most like nuanced, you know, smart offensive teams, but they were not for a long time. They were just defense. And also, if you go back in those '90s games, like yes, I agree, there's more like physicality at the rim, and like people are way more physical and like knocking people down. But on a play-by-play basis. They don't go as hard as people love to claim they rem- like they remember it. They they yeah. they really there's a lot of just like letting a guy well, through. There, or, there's also like you know I hate how everybody's like friends nowadays. They hated each other back in the day, and sure some guys did, but like also Danny Ainge and Michael Jordan were golfing the day before their playoff you. game. Like I don't like, want to claim are, my era is like, better. I'm just about? saying those arguments really frustrate me. Well, That's all the I other feel. thing is those arguments kind of ignore just the whole nature versus nurture aspect, right? <laughs> Sure, LeBron bitches about calls, and it looks soft as hell. It does. Um, but, but that is because, he, yes, he has grown up in an era where the game has rewarded him for that. It's like if you're a soccer player, you take falls. It's what you yes. do because it's an accepted and codified part of the game. Well, that's the same situation with uh, – that's the same situation with LeBron. If LeBron grew up playing late 80s and early 90s basketball, he would have been a 6'9 Thank killer. You. He would be bodying people. You think Bill you, you think Bill Lambeer wants to step up to LeBron when he comes at the rim? Like, come on, dude, get out of here. So And also, like, we live in an era now of like guys who are literally put on this earth to be these incredible perimeter defenders. And yeah, it's not as physical, but like it's smarter defense, and like you, we're putting guys in labs that are like six foot six with a seven foot wingspan, and are just like made to guard the perimeter. And yes, we do not rim protect like we used to, but that's because we are smart enough to learn that's an inefficient player for forty eight minutes on the floor. But like we have, we are actually way smarter about arm like wingspan and deflections and all those things. Anyway, we're going so, along. Okay, okay, probably- okay, okay, okay. So the seventy three and nine Warriors versus seventy two and ten Bulls. Oh, that's not even close. I, I, you think the this Warriors is something, smash? Yeah, because his, history also forgets the NBA was... By the way, oh, this, this, I hate that I'm like this guy now. Yeah, I think 96 Bulls are incredible. But they might the, nine, early, the earlier Jordan Bulls might be better. 96 was a bad time in the NBA. Mm. There weren't many good teams. There just mm. weren't. Aren't you and, too and, young to have takes about the '96 NBA like this? Like I am okay, but you also know that I'm like a, I'm more of an NBA nerd than I am like a, a football nerd. Okay, I don't so think like, I did I, know that. Actually. So I'm not claiming I like watch these games, but I like read just a weird yes. amount, do a lot of research on this stuff. But like, yeah, and I listen to a lot of podcasts stuff like that. But yeah, '96 I, I, wasn't. Right, that's all. Like. I know Bill Simmons is a big believer. Like the '86 Celtics might actually be the best team ever, and like there's probably a good argument for that. But the '27. Also, the next Warriors team was probably better than the twenty, the seventy. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Warriors that's team. fair. I just, I, I now don't I'll always give credit say to anything with Kevin Durant on it because that the Kevin, Kevin Durant joining that's that what team sucks. is the softest move in sports history. Because I think I'm not a Warriors fan at all. I think 2016 Warriors are my favorite sports team I've ever watched in my life. They were terrifying. Like, I, I, they were so fun. They played basketball exactly how I believe basketball should be played. Constant watching passing, them open guy, great defense. Watching them as a fan of the opposing team, w- there's not a scarier feeling 
than a Steph Curry three arcing through the air. Like you just know it's going in. Like that tension. I remember physically multiple times, physically having to close my eyes as the ball's in the air just because I couldn't. I couldn't take it. I couldn't stand it. It's pretty cool, actually. I was going back and uh, read Rick Riley's SI story when he like came out of retirement to write a Sports Illustrated story, like big feature story on the Warriors, 2016. And the first five words are. It's not going to last. Like about how just like because that was the most like beloved basketball team I've ever seen. Where like maybe the Bulls are the other one, but like everybody just unanimously agreed this team was so beloved. Steph Curry was the most beloved player I've ever seen. All these things. It was so fun, and that's the first sentence. And literally by that June, the world just kind of turned on him. Like everyone's just kind of like, well, maybe Steph's actually annoying. And like it went from like this is the most pure thing everyone loves to like we hate them. And that's exactly what happened see to me it just all happened when they add kd they just became so instantly unlikable i mean how does a team that goes 73 and 9 just go and add an mvp for peanuts like the and then and then like the record shows they literally shattered the competitive balance of the nba so yeah it it ruined nba i don't blame kevin durant for it it just ruined nba it did um yeah i I think that's why i don't i don't know if i have a problem blaming kevin durant i I know that (laughs) Yes, it's a bit of a creation, a monster of our own creation with how we kind of make championships the end all or be all for everybody. But, like, honestly, I don't know that there's ever been a player that's going to get less love or respect for his championships than Kevin Durant, which is arguably unfair because, like, when they needed it in the finals, he was the best, right? Like, he he kicked ass, but whatever. Whatever. No, yeah, no, I I think we're on the the same page there. I mean, I just, it ruined the NBA and I'm bummed about it. I'm just not going to, like, for example, like I went to the athletic because it made my life happier. You know what I mean? Like I just liked working there That's more, right. and it was a cool. That's like, completely fair. And it's like, why should I blame him for wanting to get out of? You know, clearly playing with Westbrook wasn't making him happy, and all those things. And he just wanted to. You just got to treat. So you got to treat your athletes like I, I try to treat him like human beings for the most parts. But when it does come to stuff like that, I kind of think of him like WWE wrestlers. So I'm, I'm more talking about like the the for the on court persona of Kevin Durant. Like he's a great guy, very philanthropic, all of those things. But for the on court persona, it was a huge heel turn for sure. Completely um, agree. All right, all right this is going to be a fun example of this week's where did the analytics drop off in the episode? That it's my favorite game. So let's see, <laughs> do people keep listening? And then if they There's do no keep chance, listening, dude. we're going straight to John Hayes. And we're being like, I think people need more basketball yeah, talk. Yeah, we need more. We need more Brody's five five year old Brody Miller's opinions on nineties NBA. Uh, no, look, I, people I, are I, talking. I, it is kind of crazy. Last Dance has showed me how little I remember. Memory's so funny. And actually, Malcolm Gladwell has an incredible. Um, book or was it revisionist history i I don't know i I think it was maybe this book talking to strangers but he has an incredible some incredible thoughts on memory and how we're all so confident that our memories are accurate yeah Yeah, we're just they're just not and like i thought i remembered so much about the 90s and the bulls and these series but i really didn't and so watching it back has been pretty rewarding for a 1989 kid uh all right we do have to go though it's been an hour everybody have a everybody have a great day uh, Brody Miller, check out his work on The Athletic. New article dropping tomorrow. I'm T. Bob Abraham. Listen to Off the Bench, 1045ESPN.com. We're on Facebook Live, all that stuff. Buy your meats at Abraham Specialty Meats and sign up for The Athletic at theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. We will see you next week. Share it, like it, tell your friends about it, and uh, we'll see you then. Have a great day.